Hey, welcome East Glenville Community Church. This is uh, Jessica Munn. I am your host on, so I have a question. Uh, this is our second episode of us trying something new and just continuing the conversation after the uh, Sunday uh, lesson. And so I have Pastor Mitch with me. Hello. Um, Hello. And, <laughs> and we're, we're trying, we tried something new last week in recording and we're trying something new again this week. So bear with us if it gets a little glitchy. Um, work travel does strange things. But okay, with that, I think we're ready to get started. So I have a question. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so the first one is, uh, we talked a bit about, you know, how Jonah responded to everything he saw to God and the Ninevites. And um, we talked about his kind of anger and frustration and um, how he wanted to hit the button and kind of end everyone in Nineveh. Um, I was curious as to, have you seen people in the church in your um, time being like part of the church and also as being a pastor, have you seen people act like that? Um, and what does it maybe look more like in a modern society? Yes and no. So I thinking about Jonah, the I think the one of the points I made is that we find out why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he, he knew God was gracious and compassionate and just might forgive them. Mm. And he wanted them to face God's judgment. He didn't want them to experience forgiveness. And understandably so, and in some ways trying to think like Jonah, the Assyrians were a threat to, to his people. Right. And in fact, they would ultimately destroy northern Israel. Um, they would threaten southern Israel or what we call Judah, but God would protect Judah. So um, now that would be 30 or 40 years after Jonah, but still... I think in some ways, just trying to understand that, bringing it to the church now, something really stuck out to me. Uh, we were having a, a group, this, we're doing revelation and talking about different things out of that and culture. And, and I noticed a very distinction between older adults and some young adults. I was almost doing a similar thing to this. I was and, and the older adults definitely had an anger towards the opposition within cult, the culture they've seen. Mm. And, and what I, I feel like I've seen happen is that especially the, the generation from the, the baby boomers, young boomers, they saw the church as a, a key part of our culture, of society. They were, the, the church was the authority, the power, and the majority, and so they will emphasize that we're a Christian country and, and all this. And they've seen the diminution of the church within culture over mm. the last 30 years or so. And now where it feels much more like we're a minority and that, that, that the world doesn't care what the church says about morals and ethics. And, and so I, one response I've seen is, is in a sense, anger towards those who are against the church in, in their minds. Mm -hmm. Even if even if all they want is, well, we don't want the church telling us what to do. 
in the minds that's still taking away the church. They're going against the church as the, the main institution and culture. And I found the difference between older Christians who grew up with the Christianity as the majority culture to younger adults who are used to the idea that, well, we don't expect the church to have say within the culture. And I, I'm kind of curious how you would respond to that. Does, have you seen that dichotomy? Yeah, I guess I've, I, I can say that I've seen it actually in a, a very different spot. Um, so I was involved in uh, Youth for Christ as a, a kid in high school. And on Long Island, there was a lot of pushback. Um, so I actually started a, a Christian club at my high school. And at first the president, the principal, not the president, the principal of my high school flat out said, no, we don't want that type of club here. Mm. Um, and so we actually, it took us some time and some legal help to actually say like, no, we are allowed to start this club. We have all the paperwork, like let us please. Um, and she had, she, she had some good reasons for it. It wasn't just necessarily, she was against the church, um, but she was against adding those, some, some of those influences and allowing it to exist. Um, and so okay. like I grew up in that, that was the environment I grew up in. And so our youth for Christ leaders knew that and like specifically prepared mm. us for it. And they would go to national conferences um, where they would hear like other areas where Christianity and like the church is much more prevalent in culture. And it's kind of like, you know, especially places like I'm going to stereotype a little bit, but down south where most people, a lot of people still go to church on a frequent basis or have that upbringing. Um, yeah. It, they like, you know, they, their students don't experience that. So to them leading, helping students lead a Christian club at a high school is very different than it was for on Long Island where I grew up and mm. for my people. And so, and you can kind of tell the difference between like where the emphasis lies and, and things like that as to how you, how you engage and what you expect mm. um, and things like that. So I think I think it's still, I think a lot of it does depend on what culture you grow up in as to right. how much, um, cause yeah, I don't, I can't say that I expect uh, the church to have, I don't, I don't expect the church to have an influence in our culture, um, at least without, without earning the right to have that influence by earning mm. trust and, and things like that and building relationships and taking the time to, you know, listen to the other side as well. Um, I don't just expect that because like I say that the Bible says this is good that people listen. Um, I expect people to say, well, I know Jessica and like we have a relationship. So I will at least consider what she's saying, which is from the Bible because she thinks it's good type of thing. So I don't know how well okay. that is. It's exactly <laughs> the dynamic I, I was kind of referring to. And just to add, the the I think then what Jonah is saying to the church now mm -hmm. is just beware that you can get used to seeing the people out there as the enemy and and forgetting the fact that these are people who do not know their left hand from their right. Mm -hmm. And and seeing them in a sense as the opposition, the enemy rather than as people God desperately loves and cares for. And you can work more at trying to win an argument than trying to 
introduce people to the grace of Christ. Mm, yeah. And so that's one reason why I really wanted to do Jonah as the whole book is, is I think that's something the church needs to hear and be reminded of. Mm-hmm. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of how you interpret Jonah 4 deals with how you hear the dialogue between Jonah and God. And, and I kind of imported a certain tone of voice into Jonah. So as someone maybe who's heard it from other places or read it on your own, how do you see Jonah's attitude coming out of the book, out of the, out of this conversation? Yeah, I, I hear it with a lot of like frustration and, and almost just like, like, ah, I can't believe you. Like, I can't mm-hmm. believe, like, I know this is who you are, but I still can't believe that you actually like gave grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's someone who it's tainted by, it's, it's a, it's a frustration and an anger that's coming from somebody who is still focused on themselves and not focused on the bigger picture. Um, and so it's like, you know, the plant, the plant directly had an influence on him. It was something good to him. It was valuable. He wanted it to stay. Whereas the people of Nineveh were the exact opposite in his mind type of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of, I guess that's kind of what I hear is I, I hear a lot of frustration and anger and just like confusion and like hurt and God okay. just kind of kind, God trying to kind of come in and be like, really? Like, let's, can you take a step back? Like, can we, can we, yeah. you know, as you said in your sermon, like the, in the moment, the anger seems justified, but it's almost like God's like, let, can I invite you to step out of that a little bit? And like, does this really make sense? Right. So. And I guess the part I add is, is that Jonah seemed just whiny, <laughs> you know, I do well to be angry. Yes, I am, you know, and so. I, I do find him, I, I, I just love that conversation that they have and and how God just sort of tweaks them through. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My turn to ask a question. Uh, so, okay, you talked about uh, towards the end of your sermon, this idea of how uh, at the beginning of the Bible, we see a lot of like corporate kind of corporate punishment for sin or for corporate sin. And then it transitions into more of the individualistic. Uh, And so I I kind of want to ask, I'm going to try to ask a question to help us kind of dive into that topic a little bit more. And so my question is like, is, is this idea of like there being a corporate sin, is that kind of completely erased with the new testament and jesus dying like for each of our sins and for each person or is there still something about that um that we should pay attention to today okay um i mean that's a huge it's a huge topic and in some ways i'd you'd almost have to really map it through the whole bible mm-hmm. um, i do when i do see the trajectory yeah. in the old testament where you see a lot of they're judged as a nation. Even the things that simply like if 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 someone does wrong, his whole household faces consequences. Mm-hmm. And we're horrified by that. Like, and and so, but it seemed natural in the ancient mindset. 
And I think God was moving them towards this idea that he knows us individually. <laughs> he sees who we are. And that's a little bit of where I'm interpreting when God says, should I not have pity on this 120,000 people? Mm. And the idea that God would see each one. And you go back to the Sodom and Gomorrah story with Abraham. You know, what if there's only 50 righteous people or even 10 righteous people, you know, and that God sees each one and would not um, wipe away the guilty or the innocent along with the guilty. And so I, I, I hear, feel the Bible sort of teaching that concept. I still think it's true that we, we will face consequences for our societal cultural issues. It just, it's just naturally going to happen. If, if, a if a society, if a city is doing evil, um, God eventually will allow them to face the consequences of their actions. And the classic thing is Jerusalem, Jerusalem, um, God allows to, to face the judgment of, of Rome, um, but he always seems to create an individual way of salvation, even in the midst of that. And so I think that's where you get the, in the, in the eternal sense of whether we spend eternity with God, it will not be based on what people we belong to or what city we lived in. Right. Um, it will be based on, you know, how did we respond to the message of the savior? And were, were we able to say yes to Jesus and not just, well, all, all of these people are bad. So too, too bad for you. Yeah, and I think you, you mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah, but even I think another example, it would be that just came to mind would be like Rahab. Um, when the, people were when Joshua was going to march around the city and the walls came down and all of that and how like her and her family um and it, again it's like because she decided to help God's people she was taken out of the city before it was destroyed and like by association her family came with it so it's like this weird balance of individual and corporate um and yeah. some, of that, some of that might be based on too I know that a lot of western cultures are very individualistic societies in general Whereas a lot of Eastern cultures, even still today, and certainly in Jesus's time was much more corporate based and like you're, you're, you were automatically tied to your family. So that could probably have some influence too. Yeah. Well, and maybe part of the reason we're, we are so individualistic based is we've imbibed that message from the scriptures mm -hmm. of, you know, the individual response to God. Um, I don't think that completely nullifies some of the corporate stuff as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that, that, and I think Rahab's a great instance where God is demonstrating he could save an individual, even a Rahab who didn't necessarily deserve it. Right. But she still received grace and mercy um, that she didn't deserve. God was able to do that even as her city was judged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of why God has mercy, at the end of Jonah 4, it talks about, you know, should I not have pity on these 120,000 people and also many cattle? How do you, do you have a theory on like how the cattle fit into God's decision to show compassion to the Ninevites? Yeah. Or a thought so, on that? So I, 
I guess I have a theory. So my my theory is very, and how I view that first is very influenced by um, a a teaching pastor named Tim Mackey, who does uh, the Bible Project, which is a resource that I I find very helpful in kind of showing weaving biblical themes and showing how Jesus shows up throughout the whole Bible. And and they have um, some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so on one of his sermons, he he mentioned, and you mentioned this too in your first sermon of how like a lot, some of this book uses humor and like is really dramatic to kind of get almost like a sarcastic Saturday Night Live, get under our skin. And so to, okay. me, to me, the like, and many cattle is almost like adding to that sarcastic nub, like, you know, even the cattle repented. Mm. And so like, it's almost the question of the like, why, like, if all of these people, plus even the cattle repented, like, why, why are we still angry that God gave grace type of thing? And so it's, a, it, you know, it kind of almost ends the, the book in a way kind of ends on a humorous note. And so it takes you off guard then when you sit with it and go like, oh, wait, he's asking it about me. Okay. So, so that's, that's kind of the way that I've, I've seen it. Um, and, and I think it, I find it funny. And so it, it yeah. makes a lot of sense and it's stuck with me. I suspect the ancient Hebrews, when they told the story of Jonah, there would have been a lot of laugh, laugh. Yeah. And I think you're, I think that would have brought out a laugh at the end. You know, you end with the, and many cattle. Um, I did have one other theory though, that almost came to me after the sermon. Mm -hmm. And so so I got to get it out. Um, Is the idea of almost, they have cattle too. Mm. You know, the Israelites who were shepherds and farmers, you know, they could almost relate farmer to farmer. You know, they would have seen the Ninevites purely as these soldier armies, Mm -hmm. the ones that came, but back in Nineveh, the city, hey, these guys are, you know, and you can almost, can you imagine almost like two farmers who can talk with each other and feel like a kinship with each other, even if they're from different areas versus, oh, all those non-farmers who can't relate. Right. So that was the thought I have is maybe it's one more way to try to get the Israelites people to see them in a different light. You know, they have cattle too. No, that's a, that's a good theory. That makes sense. Almost the old, the old, uh, when the cold war Russians, you know, the, the Russians love their children too, kind of a deal. Yeah. um, The other question I had for you, I'll keep going. Yeah. Is, is I mentioned a connection with, Jonah and the prodigal son. And I, I, I wonder, do you see parallels between Jonah as a whole, the whole story and the, the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke 15? Yeah, I think I, I definitely do see parallels and I see parallels too. There was one other, when you first asked me this question, there was another, before we were recording, there was another parable that came to mind and, or another story of Jesus that to me also related. Oh, the, um, the gracious i don't remember what title it's usually given but it's the the gracious landlord where um the he goes out in the morning and asks for workers and says like i'll pay you a day's wages and then he goes out every couple hours and at the end the first people hired got paid the same as the people who only worked like an hour and they were grumbling yes and the he's like you know are you are you angry because i am generous 
And so to me, I, I see yeah. that I, I see that same theme um, in both the prodigal son and also then in the story of Jonah. Like, are you angry with me because I am generous with the people that you either think don't deserve it or don't like um, mm. or, or just have a hatred grudge against because of, you know, they're from a warring nation type of thing. So I, I definitely yeah. see a parallel. Uh, and I think it was as much of an issue in Jesus's day as it was in Jonah's day and probably is an issue today, too. Yeah, there's definitely a human capacity to, in a sense, I was hypocritical is not quite the right word, but like to be, oh, yeah, I, I, I deserve grace. Right. Like to, right. to have grace yourself, but not yet see why others should get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think Jesus was highlighting that at different times, like, you know, you've been forgiven, you know, and he says to one thing, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Yeah. He who is forgiven little loves little. And I think there it is life changing when we recognize that we are sinful people who who needed more grace than we can imagine. I think oftentimes we think we're better than we really are. And we don't see how much grace we've been given. And I wonder if when we get to the end, you know, and God opens up our own life before us, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that. Like, and we will be blown away by how, how gracious God was to us and we'll be flabbergasted at how ungracious we were to others. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. that it's a it's a thing that's similar to the, you know, the Jews in Jesus's day of like, you know, oh, we are God's chosen people. Like we, God chose us, like we have it right. And I think that mm. the church, you know, still sometimes does that today of the like, no, like we have God's word, we have it right. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, we've learned if you sit and look at how the Bible has been interpreted differently over time, you learn that sometimes, you know, things pop up and you're like, well, actually we might not have been right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so kind of taking it and coming at it with grace and humility um, is still something we can learn today. And yet having confidence Mm -hmm. that God's word is true Yep. and we are onto something. So you could go into, well, I don't know if what we believe is actually true. No, not that. We we do believe God has given it to us and and but but by his grace, we're gonna stand fast. Yep, for sure. So. I don't think I had anything else this week. I did have it, it's I'm not sure even how to put it in a question. And it, it's a bigger picture thing and it could even tread into some dangerous territory, <laughs> but um, it's something that occurred to me w- going back to the individual versus corporate judgment. Yeah. In my young adult days, I, I really remember a theme was, is, is don't judge us for based on what group we're in or other general characteristics. Um, we want to be judged individually. And take that out of Christianity. That was just more like judged in general and mm-hmm. within our culture. And I don't know. I think there's been a shift. And I just want to ask you as a young adult who's probably 
more attuned to that is there does seem to be more opus openness to i want i want to say judging people or you you, you should feel guilty over a, a the group you're in or something to that if i'm not even saying it right do, do you understand what i'm getting at I, yeah and can you shed some light yeah, let me, so I think, I guess it's more of the, a realizing that we're being more conscious of the part I play in a group, right? So, so, you know, Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of initially, like, you know, like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a part of that group, but don't, don't, like, don't judge me. That's not, that doesn't define who I am type mm. of thing. Whereas now it could be more of a, like, well, yes, I'm a part of that group because I like because I agree with them to some extent. Like there's, you know, I can't I can't get rid of the fact that I am a millennial or a Gen Z, depending on what internet source you look at, because I'm right on the border, right? Like I can't okay. I can't I can't deny that that's true. And so I can then I can look at it and just be like, well, I'm not one of them, which makes an us versus mm. them mentality which makes it more likely that you're going to okay. work against each other. Um, or I could look at it and say, well, yes, like that, that is a part of who I am, but I'm going to take that part of who I am and bring it to the feet of Jesus and live out my Gen Z millennialism mm. through Jesus's lens type of thing. And I'm going to use okay. my, I'm going to use my influence in that group to then bring Jesus back into that group. So I don't know if that makes okay. sense. I think it does. I guess where I experience it, as I think about this further, is, is the sins of other churches. Mm. And mm -hmm. in a sense, like almost being held responsible for the bad stuff churches did in ages past and or in other areas and i'm like well that's not my church we would never do that and i still have that tension within me i'm like you know that was wrong and and i guess i, I feel like i'm learning to respond differently and not defensively and just saying yeah i'm sorry that happened that should not have happened to you and not neither defending what they did mm -hmm. nor also but letting letting their their wrongdoing taint me either and and i'm still still figuring that out yeah yeah i think that's i i don't think that my generation has done that well or perfectly but i think that's what they're trying to do and take more more ownership over the like i have influence here and i i care about my neighbor so you know i care about the okay. others who are in this group with me i care about um the people so like i'm going to i'm going to listen to and defend them when i can in a way that you know doesn't right so so i'm going to defend the church and say like no the church is good but i'm also going to acknowledge that like yeah no there there are corrupt people and bad people in the church and they do bad things and i am sorry that mm -hmm. happened to you and i don't agree with what they did i also like you think it's wrong but that doesn't yeah so it's I don't think it's yeah it, it's it's more of a finding a middle ground between the like well yeah i'm a hundred percent with them and the i am not with them at all so don't even associate with me with them 
Yeah, that sounds right. I'm I'm still, and I think it just is. It's a challenge because I think there are a lot of people that write off the whole church and its message. Right. And it fr it's frustrating because you just I know the majority of believers in Christ are good-natured people who are loving others and they give to charity and they help feed their neighbor. Mm -hmm. And, it, but it doesn't take some prominent people in society doing wrong to make sort of to taint all of that. And, and, and how to, how to respond to the people in culture who only see what's on the media. Right. So th what their, their view makes sense based on what they would see. Right. In other words, they don't know their left hand from their right. And yes. so should we not have pity on those people and try to give a better answer? Mm -hmm. hmm. I, have we exhausted our, our topic for the day? I, I think so. I'm I sure that I'll might... come up with more later, but for right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate the time you're taking, even though you're on a work trip, you're uh, tuning in and making this happen. I, um, yeah, and th this is the end of Jonah. So next week, um, my next Sunday sermon is is on just kind of our vision for the church. So that could could be a different kind of conversation. Um, yeah. And we'll go from there. Sounds, yeah, sounds, sounds good. As always, Pastor Mitch, thank you. It's great to do these conversations with you. And, uh, and yeah, I guess we'll, we'll check in with everyone next week. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye.